What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hindsightless, the sporadic podcast where I talk about life, role-playing games, or whatever else might be running around inside of my head. But mostly role-playing games, because sometimes you poke the bear, and sometimes the bear pokes back. This whole episode is dedicated to people gently telling me that I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. Uh, if you recall... A few episodes back, I decided I want to stir the pot a little bit and talk about how maps and minis are more OG than theater of the mind and how they go back to the beginning of the game. And all of ETT does is let you play, use maps and minis the way it was meant to be with your buddies. (laughs) That was a statement I made because I was just having fun and I got some amazing responses from folks. Uh, And it, this is an awesome episode. It's very educational. I learned a bunch from these calls. Uh, so, yeah, but since that's what this whole episode is about, let me start off by making another one, another statement. Because I just got finished listening to Ray Otis's amazing podcast, Plundergrounds, and he was talking about side based initiative. And Daniel called in, and Minion called in, and all those dudes have a bunch of really awesome, smart things to say about side initiative. And I've heard a ton, a ton of smart things said about side initiative, and nothing that matters, but I'm still not convinced, man. <laughs> I'm still not convinced that it's any faster or more efficient or speeds up gameplay or encourages player engagement. Right, because in either system you can have you can have players that aren't paying attention. If if you have players that don't pay attention, it don't matter what system you're using. Because like right with declared action, okay, Johnny, what do you do? I'm gonna run up there and attack the wizard. Sarah, what are you doing? I'm gonna sit back and cast a spell. Bobby, what are you doing? Uh, what? Oh shit, sorry. What are you guys doing? Okay, you're moving, you're casting a spell. I'm going to shoot my boat. No, no, I don't want to shoot my boat. You're casting a spell. All right, I'm moving. Where are you going? I'm going to go there. Like, right? You can have it in any system. So everything being equal, I just I just think individual initiative is just, it's just faster. You just roll your initiative. Boom, here's the order. Boom, go. Um, yeah, I don't know. And a lot of that is based on the games I grew up playing and the games I'm playing now, right? I haven't used a whole bunch of side-based initiative. I have done it some as a player. I've never ran any side-based initiative. Um, but I have as, as a, well, with declaring actions and stuff. Because sometimes I'll just be like, okay, you guys go and then the bad guys go or the bad guys go and then you go. But I've never done the whole declaring actions and all that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced. <laughs> I'm not convinced. Anyway, that's that. Go listen to Ray Otis' show because it's better than this one. <laughs> Ray's very smart. Um, but speaking, speaking of very smart, let's get into some very smart calls. I'll kick it off with, uh, who's up first? Is it Spencer? He's nice. I like, I like Spencer's voice. He's got a nice voice This kind of get us going. Let's, let's hear from Spencer. Hey Joe, I thought I would share my completely unqualified opinion on uh, why some people might think that Theatre of the Mind was some kind of purer way of playing the game. I think it's just a knee-jerk reaction to what happened with 
fourth edition D&D. You know, um, as far as I understand it, it's very much geared towards playing with maps and minis. So it's just, you know, it's just reactionary, really. Um, if that opinion is coming out of the OSR, that doesn't really make sense either because even Matt Finch, the guy responsible for creating uh, the game that gave birth to the OSR, uh, well, he plays with mats and minis. So, you know, doesn't really make much sense at all to suggest that theatre of the mind is somehow some purer way of playing the game. There you go. Right, dude? And if it's good enough for Matt Finch, then it's good enough for us all. <laughs> no, but, dude, totally. Thank you, Spencer. Uh, yeah, you know, none of us are qualified to answer any of these questions, right? Like, we're all just throwing our hats in the ring to see what happens. And that's what's cool about this platform. It lets us do this. And, yeah, absolutely, man. 4E all the way about maps and minis. Like, you're, they literally call it squares, right? You can push the enemies a number of squares away from you, or you can move this many squares. They don't even mess around that it's not maps and minis. But even in 3E, that was pretty prevalent because everything was just in five-foot increments because on a battle map, the little squares represented five feet. Uh, so, yeah, man, like... As we'll hear, they've they've been around. Maps and minis have been around for a long, a long, long time, man. But uh, yeah, who's next? I think Anthony is next. Anthony, you're up, dude. You got some stuff to say. So, Spence, thanks, man. Hey, Joe. It's Anthony calling. Guess from where? <laughs> All right. I know that you're effort was to stir the pot. You said you wanted to stir the pot a little bit, and then you gave us your thought about how miniatures are more an aspect of old-school gaming than you feel like the aging population of gamers <laughs> lays claim to. Um, as you know, I stopped, stopped playing D&D a long, long time ago. But... Uh, I can report what it was like to play in the fairly early 80s. I started playing in 83. So that's, you know, like 10 years after the, the beginning of the hobby. But it's within, you know, a very present and living memory I think, from the Atlantic Canadian perspective, you know, uh, where I'm from. And the people, you know, the lineage of gaming that I come from is, you know, war gamers who were exposed to Dungeons & Dragons and started to play it. But they didn't play it with miniatures. They, they simply didn't. They didn't use maps and they, they didn't use their miniatures. There were lots of miniatures available, but they didn't use them. Now, I didn't really talk about it with them because uh, I'm coming at it from the older brothers got D&D &D, and then my friend introduced me to D&D. &D. And I moved around a lot and I spent part of the year in one part, you know, one area, and I spent another part of the year in another part of the, of the province, another part of Atlantic Canada. And I was exposed to different cultures of play 
But one of the similarities was, of course, not using maps and miniatures. And when it did become, let's say, time to talk about why are things represented in, in inches and, and all this stuff, uh, the, the conversations I remember is that one of the reasons for the development of the game is to get away from the limitations of a physical representation, right? To go toward the abstract rather than the representational form of play was one of the goals. I can't speak to the truth of that. That's just a memory I have of conversations in the 80s, you know, so take that for what it's worth. But this, you know, thread of conversation has kind of inspired me to go back and look at OD&D and look at the basics and, you know, see what kind of instructions, what kind of procedures are presented for the actual use of miniatures. Or if it's more of a throwaway, like, oh, by the way, TSR also sells miniatures, so you can, you know, if it's, if it's one of those things, a product placement rather than an expectation that play would be conducted that way. So, like I say, I know that you're just stirring the pot, but um, you stirred some thought in me, and I may do some investigation as a result. Although traffic might kill my spirit and make me not want to do anything. Who can say? Thanks to Colin. Every time I hear those beeps now on Anchor, I, I count them in my head in Korean. <laughs> so, yeah, I hear them and I'm like, Hana, dul, set, net, yeah, so, uh, Anyway, uh, thank you for those messages, Anthony. And yeah, Anthony did do some research and we're going to hear the results of that research here in a little bit. But... You know, that's a super awesome perspective. And like I mentioned, too, we never used maps and minis when I was playing in the mid to late 80s, early 90s. We strictly theater the mind, but we weren't playing D&D at all. We were playing Merp or Marvel superheroes or Cyberpunk 2020 with a little top secret SI sprinkled in there. But yeah, we, we just never did. Um, and we never really thought about it <laughs> you know we never really thought about it but it just seems to me that maps and minis have always been a part of the game because like I said that that dude Jim Murphy he always used maps and minis but we never did and you never did so I don't know man it, it's just one of those things I love theater of the mind. I love it. It's easier for me as a dude with a visual disability. It's a shitload easier for me in some aspects, right? Because if you're having a big combat with multiple creatures and you're using theater of the mind, you really have to be very, very good at setting the scene with your words in a way where the people listening are at least on some way, in some sense, on the same level, right? Because they're not, the the players are not in the head of the dungeon master. What the dungeon master sees in their mind isn't necessarily what the players are seeing. And that can lead to squabbling or disagreements or whatever no i was i was here how could that monster hit me from there blah 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 so yeah that's that's where i think maps and minis come really into play um 
because they kind of they can cut down on some of that stuff. But again, with theater of the mind, if everybody's on the same page, you can really you can get stuff flowing. It can go a little faster because you're you're describing what you're doing just like you would be with maps and minis, but you don't have the time of actually moving the minis and counting the squares and everything like that. So yeah, man, I don't know, but I am very excited to hear what research you did because I haven't listened to those messages yet, Anthony. So I'm excited to hear from them, uh, to hear those messages. But before that, let's hear from, uh, let's hear from Spike Pet. See what he's got to say on this whole subject of maps and minis and VTTs and all of it, man. So thank you for that, Anthony. Colin, you're up. Uh, Joe, I can't make this out, mate. It's not like you to be controversial, poking the bear or anything like that, you know, getting folks all riled up with their their OSRY fronts, getting them all in a twist. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I can kind of agree with you. Uh, you know, a VTT is basically that, isn't it? It's a virtual tabletop. And back in the day, yeah, I always played with maps and minis. First D&D sessions we played with, um, what did we have as a map? I don't even think we had a map. We were mapping and uh, uh, maps were talked about, but we just sort of had the figures on a table and then eventually we had dungeon floor plans would come out. I'm wondering if uh, our, our old teacher used to draw on like a one inch square paper to make maps somewhat like we would do on a whiteboard or a battle map nowadays. I think you, you're, you're right, but at the same time, does, does your purest, real old school player trying to c- capture that old feel, are they even engaging in online play? Surely they would uh, eschew the VTT and online play. It's all kind of technology that weren't really happening back in the day and it the face-to-face group with their books and the dice and the paper everybody sat around in their mum's basement surely that's the way to go if you want to capture that that uh, genuine experience or maybe like go to your your friendly local game store or a, a convention and capture that kind of play there i i think some of the problem with the vtts is you know, and I've experienced just not being able to work the damn thing properly, uh, and then it doesn't feel so much like miniatures on the map when you're when you're struggling. Yeah, right, dude. Like you can't have a real old school experience playing online. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, man. You know, you're when a VTT doesn't work. It's one of the most frustrating things in my life, it feels like, at the time, right? Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm letting the team down. It's not working right. Roll20 is doing this thing. I don't get why it happens. And I've mentioned it before, but when you're, if you're using Fog of War instead of Dynamic Lighting, because Dynamic Lighting is a big pain in the ass unless you're buying ready-built maps then it's not that big of a deal i mean it's not a big deal at all if the dynamic lighting is already built on the map but if you're using fog of war and you select the reveal tool to reveal areas it roll 20 will not reveal it when you first click that tool it doesn't go to the reveal tool 
I, I have to click it a couple times in order to get it to actually reveal instead of just adding more fog of war. And I don't understand it. And it's really, really frustrating. Uh, it sucks because it's literally 95% of the time roll 20 won't reveal the areas I'm trying to reveal the first time I click on the reveal tool. I have to click it multiple times, and it's not a set number. It's not like, oh, I gotta click it three times, and it works fine. No, it, it could be two times, it could be 20 times. So it, it's really shitty when you're trying to run a big map, and you want to keep a bunch of it hidden from the players, but you gotta spend... 45 seconds or so getting the damn tool to work right that sucks man you don't really have that stuff in person when you know <laughs> when i was running in-person games with expansive maps i i can't draw maps on the fly obviously and maybe i've talked about this before but i would draw the map out before the game and we'll touch on a little bit of this later on with a call from jason um and I'd cover up the map with like pieces of paper. And as the as the players advance through the dungeon or whatever, I'd remove pieces of paper and they'd see more of the map. I was basically making my own fog of war with paper before I knew what the hell fog of war was. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Oh, I do miss in person games. Those are fun. Those are really fun. I like those. All right, let's hear from um, let's hear from Carl. Thanks for that, Colin. That was awesome, man. Well, with regard to maps and minis versus theater of the mind, really, I think it depends. And as a GM, you need to be mindful of how your players visualize and imagine things. So, for example, I have players who um, don't mind the VTT and enjoy seeing what's going on tactically because they're visual thinkers and learners. There are other people who are, you know, oral, A-U-R-A-L, thinkers and learners and are okay with theater of the mind and they can process things and they want to have the flexibility to imagine things differently. So I think as a GM, uh, it's our responsibility to be mindful of that and not be sort of black and white, it's my way or the highway, no VTT for you. Um, so... I prefer either way. Honestly, it doesn't matter as a GM and I mix and match both depending on the game and the players. And honestly, that's, that's the way to do it. Right, Carl? Like you find out what your players like, find out what works for you. Everybody gets together and you talk and you hang out and you figure out how you want to do it. Do you want to use maps and minis? Do you, if you're not playing in person, do we use a VTT? Do we just do it on person <clears throat> in theater of the mind? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> it all, cause you can even do it. And this is the way, uh, the dungeon master who was running the wrath of the righteous and the curse of the crimson throne would do it. A lot of times we would play in person, but everything was still online like all the maps in minis were online so not we would roll our own dice for the most part if you wanted to or you could just click it on the character sheet on roll 20 but everyone would have roll 20 open and that's where the map would be even though we were all in person around a physical table together 
that was an interesting hybrid way to do it. I didn't hate that. I thought I would hate that. Excuse me, I'm going to take a little drink. I thought I would absolutely hate that, but I didn't. Uh, it was it was different, that's for sure. It was absolutely different, but it was kind of fun. So, you know, to each their own and whatever works for whatever group is really what it comes down to. <laughs> and I was just... <laughs> I needed to rile things up a little bit. But okay, folks, without further ado... Sit back, get comfortable, because Dr. Runeslinger has done his research, and he's coming correct. He's got some thoughts about abstract play versus represent representative play and what the, what the prevailing thoughts were of the time, of the early days of the hobby. So grab a drink, maybe a snack, just kind of sit back, because... Not for nothing, Anthony's got a really nice voice. So yeah, Anthony, you're up. Thanks for that, Carl. Okay, Joe, this is Anthony calling, not from the car. Yes, Virginia, there is life outside the car. Now, this is the second time I've recorded these, not because of anything that you have done, but because I started in on messaging to Jason of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast by some strange mistake, maybe because that was the last person I had sent messages to. Anyway, so, inspiration is still holding, and I still feel like sending in what probably most of your listeners already know. But, starting with Moldvay, which is the version of BASIC that I started with, and which you know, was the I guess the foundation of my perception of how D&D is played and the culture of play around it, I discovered that what I felt in my earlier series of calls was supported. That supposition was that the expectation was that, you know, kids getting the box set for basic would not be using miniatures. Now there was nothing in the rules to prevent them from using miniatures. And there's lots of information in the rules to enable them to use miniatures. But basically, I think the expectation was that if people were already using miniatures, such as if they had transitioned from OD&D, then they were good to go and they had all the information they needed. But again, for this newer, younger market that didn't have any miniatures yet, they wanted the game to be playable without them. And so the expectation was, and this is backed up in the text, that miniatures would not be used. Well, how is it backed up in the text? If you turn in the Bible according to Moldvay to page 19, B19, you're going to find a notation about figures. And here it says, if miniature figures are used. And it explains, you know, that. Then in this on the same page, they have scale movement, which again says, if miniature figures are used, the actual movement of characters, blah, blah, blah. So in this structure, in the, in the way of writing, we see that the default is that miniatures are not going to be used. But if they are, do this. When we go to the example of play on page B59, again, there's no mention of miniature movement or the use of maps. Instead, the focus is on how people speak to each other and what kind of information they relate. 
So I think we can see the logic here of introducing a new product and wanting it to be effective, usable, and fun right out of the gate. So it's not a new product in terms of Dungeons & Dragons existence, but it's a new market aiming it at people who hadn't been exposed to it yet in a wider circle beyond the miniature and wargaming community. We do say that D&D comes from wargaming, but that is somewhat erroneous, isn't it? We What we really mean is that D&D comes from wargamers, and it's not the same thing. So rather than go on to Beckmere, go on uh, and look at Holmes, because this is the lineage that I came from, it informs the expectations that I had, I then jumped to the beginning, to OD&D, to see what it had to say. Now, I never played OD&D, and I've only met people later in life who did. I have a suspicion that the guy who introduced it to me, that his eldest brother had started with OD&D, but that's just a suspicion on my part. That's kind of confirmed in, in my memory by things I've read in it now, uh, that I know that he said. But anyway, when we get to the scope on page 5 of OD&D, we see that it says clearly miniature figures can be added if the players have them available and so desire, but miniatures are not required, only aesthetically pleasing. And then it goes on to talk about counters. Then later on in recommended equipment, a little lower down the page, it talks about using the chainmail miniature rules, meaning all the rules for the miniatures, which were the default, were to be found in the chainmail supplement. They were not going to be found in the supplement that you are holding, Dungeons and Dragons, right? So the alternate combat system, which is found later on page 19, the alternate combat system is the one that we're more familiar with. So if you're a person who comes across OD&D who's not a miniature game player, you're going to have to use the alternate rule system or get a bunch of miniatures and buy chainmail in order to be able to do the miniatures rules. So we can easily see how a default expectation around not using miniatures might develop. But again, we can see the logic of having the product be playable as it is. And we can see the logic of keeping chainmail in print so that it can continue to spread and grow and earn revenue and not be negated or made obsolete by anything in OD&D. So the two things can work together for people. But I think it's kind of one of those cases where we can see that it's game masters who end up buying a lot of stuff and players who end up wanting to just know the rules. And so the, the spread of this expectation that we don't play the game with miniatures could become so widespread and common among us older folk. It's only later that miniature use becomes so much a part of play. What do you think? I think you're a super smart, well-spoken dude is what I think, Anthony. That was awesome, man. Thank you so much for the education really uh yeah you know obviously in all those texts you read the default thought was you're not going to use maps and minis although it does talk about like they were aware that people were using maps and minis with D D from the beginning 
they they knew it and maybe they were trying to get away from it or not but it's always it's always been a part of the game just not not for everybody and again not for <laughs> not for me and my friends even even though like i said we weren't playing D&D and not for you and your friends all along the Atlantic Canadian area which i didn't know you were from Canada that's awesome uh why is that awesome i don't know is I like meeting people from different countries, I guess. You're a Canadian living in Korea. I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, man, that was that was really I again, like I mentioned before, um I love this anchor community because I can do these kinds of things. I can put out a statement where I am clearly poking the bear, stirring the pot, just trying to kick up some shit, start a ruckus, and then really smart people will give me really thoughtful answers to my sort of joking around statements and being like, instead of just saying you're a jackass, they're like, well, hold up. <laughs> let's look, let's look, let's see from what evidence we have left. Uh, let's see what we can do with that. And you know, for that, I am, I am very grateful and humbled. So thank you, Anthony. Those were that was an amazing series of calls. And, you know, since you brought up Jason uh, and you sent those first ones to him, let, let's, let's hear from old Jason. Jason, what do you have to say? Thanks, Anthony. There's a difference between breaking out your painted minis and train and putting it on the table, you know, 20 minutes before your friends show up to play and spending many hours getting your VTT ready for the group. The time put into VTTs is too much. It downplays and negates the any advantage you get from them, as does the problems VTT give us. And th those are numerous. Seen them a lot. I was in a game the day I leave this message where we had a bunch of VTT problems. So you, you, technical problems, that is. Um, so if it's simple as just pulling the minis off the shelf and putting them on the table, that's one thing, but that's not what a VTT is. Look how many hours you just spent setting up Wrath of the Righteous. Your time could have been much better spent doing other things. I disagree with you. I don't think my time could have been much better spent doing other things. That's a fun experience for me. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Uh, it was challenging, but challenging doesn't mean something isn't fun. I learned a new ta a new thing, you know? Is it a craft? It's not really a craft. But I learned how to do something that I didn't know how to do before. I did something I didn't think I'd be able to do before. And it's cool. Now that I have those maps built, it takes me a hell of a lot less time to set up a game on a map in Roll20 than it would in real life. That's That's a fact of my life. Uh, you talked about pulling the minis off a shelf 20 minutes before a game came over or before your players came over for a game. And no, that doesn't work. Like I mentioned before, I have to draw the maps out in advance. That's a long, tedious process for me. Uh, and then with my minis, I got to, you know, turn on my magnification, my, big blow up screen TV thing that I have and start, you know, I have my minis all separated sort of into different classifications, demons, undead, 
you know, heroes, that kind of thing. So find the container I need and start digging through there. It's a, it's a long process, man. It, it, it doesn't take me any less time to set up a game with maps and minis in person than it does online. So yeah, I don't know, man. It, it's just, <clears throat> it all comes down to what you need. Technical problems suck. You know, VTT problems are the worst. They really are. But technical problems just suck. That's why I hate playing through Discord audio. Like when people are like, oh, we're going to play a game through Discord. I'm very reluctant to play because I don't think I've played in a game on using Discord for audio that there hasn't been problems on. Um, Zoom has always worked really well for me. And honestly... Uh, using Zoom for audio visuals and Roll20 for Roll20 stuff, that works pretty well. We, I haven't had really, other than the hiccup Roll20 has with the, um, with the revealing Fog of War areas, I, I haven't really had that many VTT problems uh, for months now you know it's been a long time i think roll 20 has gotten a lot more stable which it should people are pumping a ton of money into that company they should be improving their product it still has a long way to go obviously i just want it to be thought controlled once they get thought controlled vtts i'll be on board and i'll be a fantastic dungeon master again it'll be awesome <laughs> so yeah man i don't know I, I know you hate VTTs. You hate them with a passion. You are the most masochistic gamer I know, man. You will play games you hate and genres you hate on platforms you hate and still have a good time. And I love that about you, Jason. I absolutely love and admire that about you, dude. That is, that's awesome. But yeah, for me, I don't think VTTs are that bad. And I do feel they add more... For a game like Pathfinder, I'll I'll put a caveat in there. For a game like Pathfinder, a VTT adds more to the game than it detracts. Because you know, as I mentioned earlier, trying to trying to run that battle we just ran in Wrath of the Righteous a couple weeks ago, where we had twenty something figures on the field. Think about trying to do that theater of the mind. That would you can do it, obviously, a hundred percent. You can do it, but it would be. It's tricky. It gets it gets real tricky. Yeah, so that was it. That was everybody, <laughs> you know, not everybody, not everybody. Um, but yeah, I that was awesome. So thank you everybody. Thank you Jason and let me let me get out of here. Yeah, so seriously, thank you everyone for those calls. That was awesome. Thank you to Jason and to Carl and to Spencer and absolutely thank you to Anthony for that amazing series of messages. This was a, like I said, this was a really educational episode. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the history of maps and minis and older versions of D&D. And I learned a new word. Thanks to old Carl. Uh, oral. A-U-R-A-L. Uh, I, I believe due to context clues that that has to do with like hearing people who learn through hearing oral learners as opposed to visual learners. So that was awesome. Thank you for the new word. 
context clues, folks. Context clues are really goddamn important, and I don't get why so many people don't even like think about them. I don't know. There are so many times that I'm sending a text to someone or posting something on YouTube and there'll be a typo or speech to text will put in the wrong word. And then it's like I've said something in an alien tongue like that. Whoever I was just talking to has no idea of what I'm saying anymore because of like one messed up word. And it's like, dude, look at the context clues. This is what the conversation was. This is what we've been talking about. Context clues are important, folks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry for that tangent. <laughs> anyway, um, I'll, I'll give you a little moving house update. So at time of recording yesterday, I went and looked at my first potential new place. It was wicked close to my house. I didn't realize how close it was to where I currently live. And yeah, I wasn't the one, right? For what they were charging and what you got, it just, it the, the math didn't work out. I was really stoked because it had a basement, but when I went to look at it, the basement sucked. The ceilings were pretty low. One of the bedrooms was down there. Like it claimed to be two bedrooms, one and a half baths with a basement. And I was like, awesome. But one of the basements and the half bath is actually or sorry, one of the bedrooms in the half bath are down in the basement. So it's not as cool. Plus, like I said, super low ceilings. Yeah, so that wasn't the one. But the search continues. The search continues. Uh, my work three weeks from hell is officially over right now at time of recording. This was Friday, June 9th. That sounds right. Maybe 8th. Um yeah, man. So that's awesome. I got through that. <laughs> I, I found out I'm going to be getting a little extra money for it, which is really cool because uh, anyway, it's a dumb story. I found out I'm going to be getting a little bit of extra money for it. Awesome. That's really cool. Weird, but cool. Um, yeah, what else? That's it. That's it. Thank you again to Ray Otis for inspiring the the initial comments at the start of this show. I was gonna I was gonna call Ray and leave him a series of messages, and I was like, well, that no, I, like Ray doesn't want to hear me just spout nonsense on his show, right? Like <laughs> that's why I have my own show. Um, but go check out Ray's show because Ray rules. And yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of here. So everybody take it easy and take care of yourselves and we'll talk soon. Peace out.